footnotes, today's episode is with Ellen Weaver from Palmetto Promise. Palmetto Promise is a think tank located here in South Carolina that helps to develop policy to help all South Carolinians flourish. Now that can take on many forms and we talk about what that looks like in this episode. And we also talk about a special project that they've introduced to get more information about a very important subject into people's hands. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Ellen, thanks for for being here on this episode of Footnotes. Um, And our guest is Ellen Weaver with Palmetto Promise. Uh, which is a uh, think tank here that's based in South Carolina. And I think if I'm getting this right, Ellen, on your website, your mission statement, it's something to the effect of that you guys help um, develop public policy for um, to, the benefit and to help all South Carolinians flourish. Yes, Did I absolutely. more or less get that yeah. right? Yeah, no, that was fantastic, John. It's great to be here with you today. And I love talking about our mission at Palmetto Promise Institute because it's a, it's a passion about people. I think a lot of times... Um, you can get caught up in kind of a media narrative about politics and public policy that's, you know, like very, very partisan or even just very theoretical. And um, to me, public policy is all about where the rubber meets the road, which is real people's lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having worked in public policy for about 20 years, um, both at the federal level and now for about 10 years at the state level, I see all the time and hear stories about real people who either are facing roadblocks because of public policy or who have seen great opportunity because of good public policy. And so that's really our passion at Palmetto Promise. Um, We say promise has two two meanings, right? It's a potential of what can be, but it's also our promise to try to fulfill the mission that you stated to help everybody in South Carolina live to their fullest potential. And so, again, on, on your website, and it's palmettopromise.org. That's right. You know, you guys cover um, uh, healthcare and even energy policy and employment and, and economic development, as well as education, healthcare. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, that's a lot of categories. Yeah. Um, how, how do you guys bring the focus to such a wide variety of categories? Well, to us, each of those pillars, we call them, are foundational to the long-term future of our state. And they're all interrelated, right? You know, good education, good health care, energy policy, the tax policy in which our citizens operate, our businesses operate. It determines job creation, right? Like Mm. jobs aren't going to come here if we have a business climate that's unfriendly to innovation and to entrepreneurship. And so we see all of those um, pieces, while they're distinct, as inherently linked together as the puzzle that you have to piece together in order to create an environment everybody can reach their full potential and where you're growing the jobs and the economy of the future. Yeah. You know, so, so you use words like uh, sort of business friendly, and I think there's a there's a maybe a narrative out there that almost sort of says, okay, if something's business friendly, then it has to be unfriendly potentially to another policy category. Um, is that true? I mean, is there a way, if, if you guys are covering policy in those categories, is there a way for those to all... Um, sort of peacefully coexist and to flourish at the same time? Is that a pipe dream? I don't think it is. And and this to me is is the beauty of of um, free markets, right? You know, free markets have taken a knock 
um, many times over their <laughs> over their history and are sure. seen as being you know something that is um, antithetical to maybe folks on the lower end of the scale getting a getting a boost on the ladder of opportunity right mm-hmm. but to me um, it's all about a recognition of human nature a real a realistic mm-hmm. approach to why do people do what they do mm-hmm. um, we're all rational human beings and we respond to incentives and so the public policies that we create either create good incentives or perverse incentives and so I think ultimately um, creating a business friendly environment in which um, markets are you know, regulated to the extent that they need to be, but allow for opportunity and innovation and creativity to happen, um, you know, is really the environment in which everyone is going to have the best chance to live their best life. Mm-hmm. Um, to figure out what meaning and purpose and the pursuit of happiness means to them individually, as opposed to being told by a very closed system, this is how it's going to be, this is how you're going to live your life, and this is what you're gonna do. So to me, I mean, maybe that's a little theoretical, that's my political science geek coming out, but like, I do think that a lot of times that philosophy does meet policy at a real practical level. Well, and you mentioned, you know, certainly, I guess, in 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 a, in a group like this, you you have to have policy, you have to have um, sort of a framework to work within. But one of the things that that I found particularly interesting was in under education, you guys have something sort of new that you that you've brought to to the public, so to speak, and that's. Um, the way I read it was it's almost like a database mm-hmm. that, that shows um, financial information, I believe by school district, right. for every public school district in South Carolina. Um, why did you guys make that or create that? Well, one of the, one of the underlying um, suppositions that come out of Promise is that information is power. And we expect citizens to make informed decisions, right? About who they're electing to public office, about the public policies that are being pursued. Are they in the best interest of the state or are they not? And people can't make those decisions in a vacuum. Um, and I think as we look at the the fragmentation and partisanship we see in our country, especially at the national level, people are wondering what is true, what is not true. It's hard to know, it's hard to tell. Um, but I think what really encourages me and inspires me in the work that we do in public policy here at the state level is that it's a lot easier to get your arms around some of that information. And so that's really the driving, I guess, idea behind this data dashboard that we've created for education spending in South Carolina. Um, Most people don't know that education spending, K-12 education spending, so we're not talking about pre-K or higher ed, just K-12, is the single largest line item in our state's general fund. Um, We spend, when you combine federal, local, and state sources, $10 billion over $10 billion a year on K-12 education. That averages out to about $14,000 a student. Um, And if you were to drive from here to Los Angeles and back, you would basically be spending $2 million a mile. That's what 10 billion is if you're looking for kind of some kind of comparison. Because I feel like sometimes we throw these numbers around like what's 23 trillion? Nobody has any benchmark (laughs) to even like make a rational decision about what, yeah, exactly, you know, a little here, a little there. Um, But yeah, literally if you were spending $2 million a mile and you left Columbia and drove to LA and back, that would be 
$10 billion to give some kind of like just mental benchmark for what we're talking about here. That level of spending matters. And it's not just obviously the spending, it's the impact that it is or isn't having on kids' lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like the long-term foundational future of this state is the education of our children. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just felt like it was really, really critical for citizens, for business leaders like yourself, community um, people who are just interested in the future of this state, as well as lawmakers. Um, information within state government can be so complex, so um, full of jargon. Um, it's hard to find data in a way that connects the dots. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really the idea behind this um, dashboard is that we're just taking information that lives at different agencies and putting it into one place where people can see it side by side, compare it, and you know make some informed um, conclusions about how we're spending money. Are we spending it for greatest impact? Are we spending enough? Are we spending too little, you know? Um, and so I'm not, you know, I certainly have my own opinions about that, but more than anything, I want people who are fair-minded to be able to look at the data and make those decisions for themselves. Well, so you, I mean, you mentioned having your your own opinion, and and I won't I, I won't press in too much into sort of Ellen's opinion on this, but but if you think about Pemoto Promise as as an organization, and you think about this this particular database that's been created, and you mentioned earlier about how information uh, can be power or sometimes is power, what sort of conversations do you, do you hope? would come out of this information being available and maybe think about it at you know at the law at the legislative level like what conversations at the community level within just people that have children in schools and, and maybe even for school boards or those i mean if you, if you kind of think about it in those layers i mean what what are some of the conversations that you maybe hope or that that the group hopes that this could start? I'm, I've been really encouraged, I'll just tell you, by the feedback that we've gotten so far. Um, I was talking to a charter school principal um, mm -hmm. earlier this week, and she said she has started sharing this with all of her parents wow. because it's enabled her to show them in a very concrete way um, many of the policy and funding challenges that she's been trying to communicate with them um, for years. We also, um, speaking of parents, um, our resource was shared in the Friends of Richland One school group, and I know there's a lot of conversations happening um, between the two districts in Richland. Like, you know, one is spending a whole lot of money, and are they spending it effectively in the most effective way possible? And so I think these are the kind of citizen conversations that we hope to create, um, just to create some situational awareness around who is spending a lot and for what what results. One of the most interesting um, things I pulled out of the, the data um, as I was looking at it was that we have we have two districts in South Carolina. One, the highest spending or the highest per people revenue in the state at about $25,000 a people is what they're pulling wow. in. Okay. And their spending is not much lower than that. And then you look at one of the lowest uh, per people revenue districts at about $10,000 a people. Both of these districts have high poverty, um, but comparable poverty. But when you look at the outcomes of students, which ultimately that's the only thing in this mm -hmm. conversation that matters is are we helping students learn? Mm -hmm. um, there is no distinguishable difference in the outcomes. And in fact, the lower or the lower funded district is actually outperforming the highest funding district on some of those key metrics like mm -hmm. eighth grade math, third grade reading, the benchmarks that we know 
um, if a student doesn't meet these benchmarks, they're not gonna be equipped to succeed in life. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you see that, you have to ask the question, is it really just all about money or more money? Or is it how we're spending the money that is currently in the system? I mean, I think that especially as a business owner, you understand that you have to constantly be looking at that return on investment, right? Um, or you're not gonna be in business very long. Right. And I would submit um, that our current education funding model is fundamentally broken. It is a broken business model. And so when I think about the change that I'd like to see at the state level as a result of this, I'd like people to just be more aware of how much money is in the system and the idea that we could be doing so much better in how we allocate and spend that money. Well, you use the word allocate. And, and when I think about the business world, I think sometimes um, when, when you're thinking about something like public education and the sort of the private business world, that there are people that look at it as, well, those are our apples and oranges and we don't wanna run schools like businesses and we don't wanna run businesses like schools. Mm -hmm. But again, I'll go back to that word allocation. Um, there have literally been books upon books upon books. There's academic literature and courses taught on nothing but capital allocation. In other words, how you spend money. And it's easy to think about how you spend money in a business. And I think that's where when you when you have people make comments about we wish schools were run like businesses, what I'd like to think they meant is that you have a decision to make on every dollar that comes in. Mm -hmm. But I think if you even just scratch at a surface level on education spending, there are big dollars being thrown around. Yes. What I think when you scratch a little bit below the surface, you see that lots of those dollars are earmarked before they even reach the district. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's like a, a, a pair of pants or a wallet with a thousand different pockets. In each pocket, that money can only be spent on one particular thing. And so you may have one pocket that's bulging with money yeah. and another pocket that has a few coins in it. Yeah. And yet we have these outcomes that, that we want. And, and I think one of the differences between private sector and public sector is private sector chooses where to spend the dollars. Mm -hmm. And that's just a, a question that, that I've had, just a, a thought bubble on what if we could change the way that people were allowed to allocate dollars? Yeah. Uh, because I, I think what we see is with allocation comes account, true accountability. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> if you don't have the ability to allocate, you really don't have a lot of accountability in a, in a true sense because if the decisions are made for you or pre-made yeah. uh, before it gets to that leader, if you will, whether that's a superintendent, whether that's a principal, whether that's a, you know, pick something. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be part of part of the issue. And while I don't mean to editorialize, I think I just did. Um, it's just interesting how to your point, you're know, bringing this information out about the money. There's a lot of money. Um, and what I think I've seen is it's not so much about wise decision making because a lot of times the decisions aren't, cannot be made at the level that's closest to the student. Yeah. Is that what no, you guys that's are finding? No, that's absolutely fair. And I love what you said about accountability not being true accountability mm -hmm. when your hands are tied. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of box checking, right? right. Um, right. And it's not actually looking at what is the ultimate end goal of all of this, which is an educated student, right? Mm -hmm. A student who can succeed in life. Um, so no, you are absolutely right about that. And I, I like to think of our education funding formula right now as a spider web. We have all of these <laughs> different, you know, strands and threads. And at one point, 
the, each of these ideas might have been a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. if, you know, this legislature heard from legislator heard from this person who said, "Well, we need to do this in X district." But I think we have to acknowledge that communities are different. Communities have different needs, sure. um, and so for us to be really mandating this very one-size-fits-all, very siloed um, approach to funding just doesn't really doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, what what we advocate for at Palmetto Promise is what's known as student-centered funding where you collapse all of these crazy line items and all these different programs, untie the strings, untie the district's hands, and just let money truly fund a student. And it's actually not a foreign concept in South Carolina. There's this thing called the Education Finance Act, which is also known as base student cost. You'll hear that thrown around in a lot of education okay. funding conversations. And um, the idea behind base student cost is that a student generates a certain amount of money, and then there are additional weight that are added to that for the different characteristics of the student. So perhaps the student lives in poverty, perhaps they have a special need, maybe they're gifted and talented. Um, in some states, for students who live in rural areas, there's an additional weight because of the sparsity, you know, in, in, in educating students in, in more rural environments. So anyway, South Carolina has this EFA and it's actually a great way to fund students. The problem is, is that that's only about a third now of our total allocation of education spending in the state. The rest of it is tied up in all of this kind of like programmatic stuff that you're talking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And so what I'd love to see is us to collapse as much of that programmatic money as possible into an EFA, let that money follow the student to their school, and then let the school make the decision. And, I, and that's flexibility, right, for school districts. Um, I feel like Principals should be CEOs of their school. Teachers should be CEOs of their classroom. They should have the ability to make decision about decisions about what's right for the children in their care because nobody is closer to those students than they are. In exchange for that, though, you do have to have accountability, or as I call it, responsibility, right? You have to have financial transparency, which again is something that this district dashboard is trying to create. Um, but then you also have to have responsibility for student outcomes. Is the money that is following that child into that district actually producing an educated student? And at that point, I think that's where the state does have a role to play in ensuring that if there are districts that are not being good stewards of money or are not delivering the outcomes that are needed for students, that there is some kind of intervention. I mean, we have a constitutional obligation in South Carolina for the state to provide an adequate education for every child. So there is a role for the state to play, but I think it's more on the responsibility and accountability side. And then the other role that the state has to play in this is just equity, or like I like to say, fairness. Um, we, we do know that there are differing taxing abilities within mm -hmm. the different communities, that rural communities don't have the same kind of tax base that a more urban community does in our state. And so the state, I think, does have an obligation to ensure that there is some kind of equity or fairness um, across the different communities of our state for each of the students. But I think if you follow those three principles, flexibility, responsibility, fairness, you could fundamentally transform education funding in South Carolina. Now, of course, that sounds easy. It's much you know, harder to actually yeah. do it because like you said, there are are people who have developed uh, business models around the way that the system currently works. And so anytime you try to change an existing business structure, you're always going to get pushback from the people who are currently benefiting from the way that things are. But I think that if we truly care 
about the future of the children in our state. These are the conversations that we have to be having. We can't pretend like doing business like we've always done business in South Carolina is going to prepare our students because it wasn't. And now with COVID, it's you know even even more critical that we have these conversations. So switching gears a little bit, I'm curious. You know, you, you've you've explained a lot of things um, that I think a lot of people that will be watching this are hearing for, for the first time. And again, on, on the website, palmettopromise.org, they can go and, and see for themselves some of these things you're talking about. But if, if we think about um, for you specifically as, as Ellen and these things that you're working on um, and that you're the executive director of this organization that's trying to get the facts out there, trying to educate legislators, members of the public, various constituencies, trying to help foster and foment change. I imagine there can be a lot of frustration with um, maybe not seeing an outcome or something that you, you see um, is vital and necessary. How do you deal with that frustration? I think it's all about how you set your expectations on the front end. I have never um, been under any delusion that, um, that anything worth doing is going to be easy. And I think, you know, you look at a state like South Carolina, which in many ways has such an incredible culture, um, incredible people, um, just just an amazing place to live. But we also have a very, um, a very set idea of how to do things. And that is how we have always done things. And the house can be burning down around our ears, but we don't want to change because we've <laughs> never done it differently. So I don't know, should we do this differently? Right. <laughs> you know, a um, little bit of ancestor worship, right? So, um, so, but I embrace that about our state. I love that about our state. But when we're working in this public policy space, I also am very realistic that, that change takes time and change moves incrementally. And I think, you know, so much of, of, of politics is about the quick win, is about tomorrow's headline, the 24-7 news cycle. And I think, you know, I learned a long time ago in this public policy business that to be effective, you have to be in it for the long run. And you have to build relationships in good faith with people, even people who disagree with you, because there may be something at some time that they do agree with you on, and they're going to be critical to moving that idea forward. So just figuring out how you how you build trust with people, whether you agree or disagree with them. And and um, so, so that actually is a very rewarding part of this work to me, that I get to work with so many smart people, people who love this state, agree or disagree ultimately about public policy. I know that their heart's in the right place. Um, and so we can have these conversations and um, we can work to incrementally move ideas forward. Would you say that there's uh, maybe a skill that maybe you haven't consciously developed, but that there's a bit of a skill, and maybe maybe this is one of the footnotes in this conversation, but that there's a, a skill in sort of redefining of what a win is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's not gonna be the quick win, the headline, and it may not even be your name <laughs> mm. in the newspaper, you know, which there's all kinds of groups that come and go and are all kind of this churn and burn, and you know, um, we're gonna hold lawmakers. People are motivated by notoriety. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's definitely, you know, a lot of ego in, uh, in this world, but I think, um, you know, just learning how to Again, it comes back to kind of a practical awareness of human nature, learning how to harness that natural instinct of people. Um, you know, I think it was might have been Milton Friedman who said that um, you uh, you uh, 
create the parade and then you invite the politicians to lead it. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create the parade and somebody else can have all the credit and all the glory, but we're willing to do the hard work if it means that we actually get something good done for our state. I like the way you put that and, and maybe maybe Milton Friedman said that, maybe maybe he didn't, but you know, create the parade, you know, be, be willing to create the parade and let someone else lead it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, um, that's a, a great way to end this. And, and another footnote, I think, in this conversation that I think for people out there that are watching this is that when you're doing important work, whether it's in policy work where sometimes the win is, is hard to define mm-hmm. um, or is certainly over the long haul or whether you're, you're leading a business that has quarterly results or yearly results or something that you're really trying to accomplish that's maybe more measurable is um, being willing to uh, redefine that win and being willing to um, set up a parade but not necessarily have to lead it. I, I love the way that um, you put that. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, my life motto is creative, visionary, opportunistic. And I think that what I have learned in this work is that there is no experience that is ever wasted if you are creative in how you apply the lesson. If it was a setback, then it was a setback. Mm -hmm. But somehow it always comes back around in the end to equip you for whatever the next step is. I've just seen that over and over and over again in this work. And that's, that's exciting. I love that. Ellen, thank you for sharing that with us, but thank you for doing the, the work that, that you're doing. Um, I, th- I, th- I can um, only imagine what it's like to to work in such a sort of an abstract world that, that is full of uh, having to motivate people and to get them to maybe think that something's their idea when it's really uh, maybe not behind the scenes. But thank you for what you're doing um, for our state. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you.